But um, today what we're going to do is we're going to start a new series today. Well, actually, no, we're not starting a new series. This is just for today, and um, it will be touched on again on Father's Day. So it is indeed a series, but just not going to do it next week. Um, and it's called Generation to Generation. Um, and before I jump into that, I do also want to thank Jamal for doing uh, such a great job with communion. Um, very, very well thought out, and I'm sure that our the mothers appreciate uh, the communion as well. And so, um, this uh, this message this morning is built around uh, the promise of God in Psalm 119 verse 90. And um, what I want us to walk away with this morning is that the church grows through generational faith. It grows through generational faith. And I want us to think about as as we as we journey through this message, think about this. Think about what intentional actions you're taking to share your faith with the next generation. You know, your faithfulness continues throughout all generations, right? And U.S. Oh, one second. My iPad just went kaput, but that's okay. So here's what we're going to do. I shouldn't say my iPad, but um, my message. Give me one second. And I know I have the help of the team back there, so. Okay, one second. Um, Yeah, so let's look at Psalm 119, verse 90. It says, your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Right, your faithfulness continues through all generations. God's faithfulness continues through all generations. And that's that's what we're going to really focus on this morning. You know, oftentimes when a when a company runs a promotion, right? You see these promotions that are on TV and companies are running these promotions at the very end of the commercial. What do, what do they say? They say terms and conditions apply. Right? They give you this this commercial that everything just seems awesome. It seems incredible. And then right at the end, terms and conditions apply. And they say it real fast, too. And so what does this even mean? I think it usually means that everything they just said isn't necessarily true. Right? (laughs) Right? All the hype that they just went on with is not necessarily as as it's going to be. You have to buy within a certain time frame or, or be eligible for the benefits um, or spend a certain amount of money before any sort of savings kicks in, right? Oh, you're going you're gonna to save so much money, but here's a price tag, right? And so the list is never ending for what the terms and conditions might be. You know, in our world, a promise is rarely unconditional. Right, A promise is made, but it's really unconditional. There's usually some kind of condition that has to be met. But in Psalm 119.90, God makes an unconditional promise about his faithfulness toward his people. 
His faithfulness will endure from generation to generation. And that's it. There's really no more to that. That is what an unconditional promise from God looks like. He promises to do something and he will indeed do it. No matter what. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God. And we are so grateful that you keep your promises. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you're faithful from generation to generation. No generation misses out. God, and I pray that on Mother's Day, Father, we will celebrate moms who have inspired their sons or daughters, Father, to, to, towards you, God, to be faithful, Father, generation to generation, that they pass it on generation to generation. Father, I pray that we celebrate the moms who hope to do that as well. And Father, I pray that you will be with us this morning, that this message will be yours and not my opinion. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So how is God's faithfulness, faithfulness or generational faith passed on from one generation to the next? Well, most of the time it takes an entire church to help with that, right? It takes an entire church to make a disciple. Sometimes we can think that, okay, well, I'm helping to make this disciple. It's just me. I'm doing the work. And no, it takes a community of believers to help somebody to become a disciple. But more than anything, it takes the Holy Spirit as well. It takes all of that to help someone who will commit to Jesus for the long haul. But even before the church, someone can come to know Jesus through those who have invested in them for a significant part of their life, their parents. And so again, I say, think about this. What intentional actions are you taking to share your faith with the next generation of believers? How are you passing on generational faith? And so in order to to give an idea of how this can work, I'd like to use a relay team as an illustration. And so now let me just preface this by saying that that I'm not saying that that I am an example of a runner on a relay team, okay? But I do watch a lot of relay races on TV. After all, Though I was born in the United States, I grew up in Jamaica. My family's from Jamaica. And so I watched some track and field. Okay. So I came to a hard realization that I am not a runner um, a long time ago. And so I found it out the hard way. You see, when, when I was growing up in Jamaica, we had what was called sports days. Right. Anybody ever hear about that? Like maybe in Europe or like sports days. Right. And so sports days in school, what that was, was um, and they have this in London as well, in England as well. But 
um, it was the school was divided into teams, right? And each team would have their their color shirt, right? So you'd have like the blue team or the green team and the yellow team, right? To represent your team on sports day. And so now sports day involved, okay, it involved relay races, the 100 meter dash. It involved sack races, the long jump, the high jump. It involved all these things that you're competing against the other team with. Now, each individual on those teams, they got to choose, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do on my team. This is what I think I am best at, right? So some people would say, I just want to do the sack race because that's what I'm best at. Some people would say, I'm I'm doing the 100-meter dash. Some would say the relay, right? And so they would choose what they want to do on their team because they felt that they were best at it. Now, I want to also say this is pre-disciple, and I had a pride issue, and I said, look, well, I still have a pride issue, but I said, look, I want to be, I want to do the 100-meter dash. That's what I think I'm best at. And so they're like, all right, because nobody really knows what you're good at, right? School's big and everything. So, so I get up to the starting block, right? And I'm looking around. I'm looking at the other runners. <laughs> Remember, we're in Jamaica, okay? It's uh, they they manufacture runners, right? And this is the hundred meter dash. And so I'm just looking at these guys like, eh, you're all right. I'm gonna do this. And so we get down on the starting block, you know. And I'm there, and I'm still looking at them like, I'm like, man, he's kneeling down, and he's I'm still looking at him up there, right? And so I get down on the starting block, and we're ready to go, and the and the gun is fired, and the race was over before it even began for me, right? They were like a hundred meters done, and I'm just lifting up to get like my stride going. It was terrible. You know, like when you're you watch cartoons and their legs are moving real fast and they are not. That was me. And so I came to this realization that, you know what? I am not a runner. Well, I came to that realization way after that, because, you know, I tried to say that I pulled a hammy and different things. Right. But yeah, my pride was like really hurt. So I realized that I'm not a runner. So I moved on to play soccer where I could play midfield and I didn't have to run real fast. I could just jog in different places and distribute the ball like I need to distribute it. See, so I got I had, I got some brains. But later on, I got, I got smart. But many of us have probably seen relay races on TV, right? Many of us have probably watched relay races in the Olympics and We may have seen successful relay races and ones that were just a flat nightmare, right? And so we, you know, as disciples and as Christians, we can attempt to pass on generational faith and everything turn out as it should, or quite frankly, we can try it and it just turned out to be a nightmare. It's one or the other. It's going to be a Good, it's going to be good or it's going to be real bad, right? And so 
we have set out, we've set the, the right, if we've set the right pace, then I think we will be successful. And so in a relay race, the runners, what they do is they pass the baton from one runner to the next runner, right, as they make their way to the finish line. And so today, we're not going to get into a debate about who is best at running the relay, what country in the Olympics pulls off the best track and field. We won't get in that debate, right? Everybody got real quiet. They're like, don't go there. But I want us to notice that there is a team involved in a relay race, right? And everybody on that team is important. And these runners, they're working together to pass the baton. And so in a similar fashion, we are the relay team passing the baton of generational faith from one generation to the next as we head to our finish line of glory. But like every good relay team, there is one who sets the pace for the next runner. And so I want us to to consider this morning that the first thing we need to do in passing on generational faith, faith is that we need to set the pace. There are those in our families and churches who have set the pace for us to follow. And so we do need to follow it. For some, for some, that is our mother, that's our father, that's our aunt, that's uncle, other family member or friend. They're setting the pace for us to run. They're setting the pace for our generational faith. And so here are a few people who are, who are going to share how their moms have played a major role in setting the pace for them becoming Christians. First, we have Brian. Good morning. So I have, oh my gosh, that is such a funny picture because it's like 10,000 years old. It's Brian from a different age. Um, I have so many really really, really awesome stories about my fantastic parents. My parents are absolute saints, truly. But of course, I can tell you all these deep stories and monumental times, but it's way funnier to tell you a really funny story. So once upon a time, I had this friend in high school. He was one of those friends that like we had nothing in common and yet somehow we were friends um, I think we had like video games in common. That was like the only thing or something, you know, and, um, but he lived not far down the street. And so he would come over and we'd play video games, whatever. And, um, so he came over and we were playing video games and he is cussing up a storm. And my mom is like, absolutely not. This is not happening. Talk to him at least two or three times. And every time he would continue to cuss, but like a less cuss word. Right. And so in his mind, he's doing better. And eventually he said, well, what can I say? I can't say anything. And my mom said, say blue skies, say blue skies. (laughs) And so uh, he was like, 
okay, whatever. So we continue playing, whatever, and he just keeps right on cussing, and she shouts from the other room, I don't hear no blue skies in there! (laughs) And my friend was literally, like, paralyzed. He was like, I don't know what to, I don't know how to respond to this. But it's such a perfect analog for my parents. Like, my parents never put up with anything from anybody. If they came over, their standard is our standard. And I don't care who you are or where you come from. You're in my house, and that's the standard. And I think that's one of the greatest things that they taught me is that the Bible is our standard regardless of who we are, regardless of where we are, regardless of who we're talking to. That's irrelevant. And I think that's one of the funnest memories that I really have about that. So I'm Christina, um, if you don't know. Uh, my parents are Dan and Barbara, uh, and I'm very lucky to have the mom and the parents that I do. Um, my mom really, really strived to instill godly principles in our lives, and um, one of the biggest things I think that she did to do that was to live by example. My mom lived by example. <clears throat> uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> by, um, and one of the biggest things that I think my parents and my mom in particular did just the best job of was um, setting an example she lived the way she wanted us to live. She lived the way that she wanted us to, or she did the things that she wanted us to do. And one of the biggest things I think was that she always apologized and always acknowledged when she was wrong. Um, And, um, sorry, oh my gosh, she sat in the back and now she's looking at me, so... Um, yeah, my, my parents, my mom was, we weren't, they weren't perfect, but they also didn't, um, they didn't expect us to be either. You know, they knew we were going to make mistakes. They knew that we were going to do things that they didn't like. And the, one of the other things is that she gave us unconditional love. She, she treated us, they trusted us even when we didn't deserve it. They prayed for us, even when we maybe didn't want to. Uh, I thought about my mom always tried to pray with us, and um, we were terrible. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I actually I killed her soul one day when I told her, Mom, you just pray too much. I don't want to pray with you. You're too much. And I'm pretty sure I killed her that day, (laughs) but she's not too much. And she continued to pray the same. She didn't listen to us and continue to be who she is. And uh, the biggest thing that they showed us was unconditional love, even when we didn't deserve it. (laughs) Um, And we didn't a lot. We did not. I had a big anger problem when I was a kid. 
and honestly, I think back to those times and how patient she was truly with me because I was like a, like a, a demon possessed child. Okay. I'm so serious. And, um, somehow she still loved me, which is unfathomable to me now. Um, there are things that I'm sure there are things that she would change and things that I, you know, would think and be like, ah, oh, we could have done that differently. But, um, but mostly, uh, even my sisters who are not disciples, we still talk about how great we had it growing up. You know, obviously there are things that we could, we would, we would change, but we've talked now as adults together and been like, Oh man, our husbands have some families. And, um, we think we go, wow, we really had it good. You know, they loved us, supported us, cared for us. And even when we didn't deserve it, um, and we continue to receive that love and care, even as adults, when we should be adulting and should be doing things on our own. We know that we don't have to, you know. Um, anyway, we're very lucky. And I keep losing my place on my thing. But I love my mom very much and what she's done in our life and my life, my husband, everybody's life. So. Let me tell you about a little Jamaican woman named Beverly Rose, who is my mother. I love her. She's awesome. Mom, can you stand up? Everybody can see you here. So Mama is known as, a.k.a. Mama Rose, Ma Rose, Miss Bev, and everybody on our street that grew up with us called my mother Mama. So you would think she has like a million kids because everyone called her mama. But when I think about my mom, I think about where I'm at today because I remember growing up, it's 10 of us, and um, I remember my mother would wake us up every morning for a devotional. Now listen, it's hard to get 10 kids up, so you know what she did? She sprinkled us with water. She would come in and sprinkle water, get up out of the bed, get up out of the bed. And some of us made it, some of us didn't. But you know what? Those times were great because we had our quartet going on at home. We sang, we prayed, you know, we read the Bible. You know, Deuteronomy, I thought about a scripture that describes my mom. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, love the Lord, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Literally... She wrote things on our door frames. Literally, we, we did these things at home. But I remember my mother always impressing the word of God on our hearts. And I believe it's because of her I am a disciple today. I believe it's because of her. My nieces, um, are, 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 well, one became a disciple. One, you know, she's not a disciple anymore. But my sisters are disciples. You know, my, my, my nephew, my niece are disciples. Audrey, Audrey, know my niece. 
there. But I believe um, it's the reason why I'm, a, I'm, I'm in a family of believers. The other scripture that comes to mind when I think about my mother is in Proverbs. And in Proverbs 31, it talks about the wife of noble character. But something stands out to me here because if you know my mother, she's been a very hard worker. All her life, she's been a hard worker. She's taken care of her kids. She's taken care of her husband. But she, husband and she's taken care of the community. You know, it says she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable. And she definitely was a businesswoman, you know, as I was growing up. And her lamp does not go out at night. Oh, my goodness. If you know my mom and where I'm at and who I am, because of her, she's funky. She's always encouraging. She's always giving. She's big. And I think I've developed that character because of her. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms wide to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. That's my mama. Every Christmas, every person on our street got a cake, got a Christmas cake, a Jamaican Christmas cake. Everybody, we have, she has tons of um, children. I mean, she'd tell me that this one is our son, that one is our son, and it's so true. They come to her, they give her gifts. Mother's Day is here. People are calling her from everywhere to wish her a happy Mother's Day. Mama, you're the best. Thank you so much for everything that you've given me. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. So when uh, J.D. asked me to share about a generational, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Ty said not to cry, so I'm good. It is. She's awesome. So my mom uh, is really cool, really awesome. I love her. Um, so when I think about God, Golly. Ty, Ty got me. Ty got me. Yep. I knew it, too. I was like, JD's going to hit me last. So I'm going to think of all these mamas. All right. So, um, no, seriously, when I think about God um, determining our steps. I mean, seriously, she... She took every step because of God. She still does. Um, it's really incredible. I was thinking about this. Um, the first uh, story that um, came to my mind um, was, uh, so we, we were late sometimes. Um, uh, and by sometimes, I mean it was rare to not be late. Uh, which, you know, I was, I was 36 kids, so what, what, what do you do? Um, so one day, uh, my mom was taking me to school, but she didn't have to do that, but I never rode the bus because she wanted to take. So, uh, sorry. So anyway, so, so we're, we're running late to school and I'm like, mom, we gotta go. And she's like, okay, go wait by the car and I'll, I'll be out there in a second. And uh, so I go, I'm, I'm a little impatient. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you. So, um, anyway, so I go and I'm a little impatient, and I think about um, thinking about that makes me upset that I was impatient with her. But uh, she um, she came out to the car, and I was waiting on the outside of the car because this car is locked. And she said, she said, all right, now look at the trees. We're late. <laughs> she said, no, it's a beautiful day. Look at these trees. I was like, okay, ma. So I look at the trees, and she's like, no, look at the trees. It's a beautiful day. And I was like, oh. So she's like, I'm not unlocking this door. <laughs> and so you stop and appreciate God in this morning. And just, I mean, just the way that she took every step to celebrate God, to love God, to move with God, um, to be God's um, tool in this world. Uh, she, she was, she, she took every step like that. And I mean, how do you, how do you overcome an impatient teenagers? Um, like trying to get, do something good, like get to school on time, you know, um, other than, having a heart that is so set with God that like school doesn't matter. God matters. Like uh, what matters is nothing outside of God. And that's how she took her steps. That's how she, um, that's how she still does. Um, and, and that's, that's how you can see that reflected in my kids. And I love it. Thanks. I think, um, man, it's like these guys preach my message. I think I could be done now. I mean, maybe I should do this every week. <laughs> guys, thank you so much for sharing about your moms and generational faith. And that's, if I don't, if I, if I mess up the rest of this sermon, just understand that that's what I'm talking about, right? About passing the baton and and with generational faith. Um, let's look at 2 Timothy 1. Starting in verse 5. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded... now lives in you also. That's how it should be passed on. You know, in this letter to his protege, Timothy, you know, the Apostle Paul points out that Timothy is the product of two generations. Two generations of parental um, faithfulness. And so, and he tells Timothy that, that his faith first resided in his grandmother, right? And then in his mother. And now it lives in him, in Timothy. It, it was passed on down the line. And so I want us to think about our children and think about the church. Think about the children in the church, 
right? And the responsibility that we have to pass on faith generation to generation. It's an image. It's an image both of faithfulness of God, right, from generation to generation, as it talked about in Psalm 119.90, but also and of the faithfulness of the parents who are teaching their children to be faithful. And, you know, just just like a runner in, 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 in the relays we were, ta- we were talking about, Timothy is like in the third position. He's like in the third position in the relay race. His grandmother was first in the, re- in the race, right? Then, the, then his mom. And then Timothy is like in the, in the third position in the relay. And he watched his predecessors run the race effectively. And learned what real faith looks like. Right? And I harp on these things because I feel like we need to look at what real faith looks like from those in the church, but in our family and those around us. I challenge our teens to look and see what real faith looks like. You have so many examples here in the church and in scripture as well. And so the question for a parent then is, what is your role? Right? What is your role? Should we actively teach our children the faith or just passively trust that God will be faithful to them? What is your role? Right? The answer, I think, is that it's a bit like salvation. So God makes it clear that he is the one who saves. Amen? He is the one who saves. But yet in Matthew, it tells us to go and make disciples. So, so we have our place, right? But at the same time, we, got to, we have to rely on God. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. So as parents, we have our place. But at the same time, we have to rely on God and the Holy Spirit. And so what kind of pace are you setting for your children who are watching you? What's your stride like? You know, this applies to mothers, fathers, but all of us who are in God's church, because the children here are watching you. So what is your pace like? What is your stride like? How is your pace? I think some of us think our children are looking for perfection. They're not. They're not looking for perfection. They're looking for us to be authentic, for us to be genuine, for us to be real, for us to say it hurts. For us to say, I'm tired. For us to say, this is what is happening in my life, but God's got me. <laughs> They're not looking for you to be perfect and say, okay, well, I'm awesome. Right? I never fail. They're looking for the failure so they can learn because they too will fail one day. There are times when we were running and something painful happens. I talked about Miami, right? Well, that was not real. That was fake because I was losing but sometimes things happen as you're trying to set, up, set, set the pace in the race, right? But how do you deal with those things? Do you stop running? Right? Something happens as you're running and as, as you're going in the race, right? Do you stop running like I did? <laughs> right? Or do you keep running the race? 
Our children need to see that we're real, we're genuine. They need to see authentic faith in their parents at church. Why? Because those of us who run set the pace for those who run after us. We are setting a pace for those who are coming behind us. Same thing in a relay. You're setting the pace for the rest of the runners. Again, I ask, what intentional actions are you taking to share your faith with the next generation of disciples? And so as we as we even look at setting the pace, guess what happens next? We got to pass the baton, right? There's another runner coming up and we got to pass it. And here's the thing. It has to be passed effectively. Right. There are many runners and many relay races where we see that pass not happen effectively and then either they either drop it or they just don't do it right i'm sorry to show some of these pictures but i just think it's going to help us understand right and so this is one of the effective passes that was a very effective one right he didn't have to turn his head back where it slows him down, he puts his hand and it's placed right in his hand, right? A few sentences after the 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, Paul describes that faith, that faith which Timothy has received as a good deposit. In verse 14, it says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, right? So that good deposit, namely what? The gospel. It has to be deposited well. Just like in the race, it has to be placed well. It has to be, we have to be a good example at it to pass it on to the next generation. So we have to guard it and then pass on the gospel. Parents often work for years to to get to a place where their finances are stable and, and they can pass something financially or materially onto their children. But what is more important? Leaving them an inheritance or passing on a beautiful faith that saves them? Passing on the gospel. And so as you, we're going to go back to our, our, our race metaphor here. As you watch a relay race, be it Olympics or collegiate racing, um, relay race, one of the things that we're, we're praying and hoping happens is that there is an effective pass of the baton. Sometimes you're watching these races and you're like, okay, the first pass is coming up and you're like, please, please do it properly. Please pass the baton properly because if it drops, that's the race. In most cases, there have been instances where they drop it and they come back and they do pretty well. But I believe, for instance, the U.S. team messed up about seven out of 11 Olympics because of dropping the baton. Right. He looks like he's he's holding him in the throat right there. And so, guys, we have to take great care in how we pass the baton to the next generation. 
We have to be very careful in that. We can't just say, okay, well, my son or daughter, they're going to be a disciple. And then just let them live. We have to be examples of how we live. And then pass it on to them and say, hey, this is how mom and dad did it. This is how you're expected to do it. Right? And you place it in there. And now the onus is on the other person taking it, right? They have to make sure to reach for it. And that takes training. That takes training. It takes a lot of practice. So when they're, when they're practicing track and field, they're doing that one thing over and over. They're walking like this. Again, I watch them on TV. Yeah. They're walking like this, and the, per- the person in front says, pass. And then he feels it smack in his hand. Then they turn around, and the other person walks, and he says, pass. And he feels it smack in his hand. And they go through that thousands of times to make sure that it's passed effectively. Now, in our families, we have to practice too. We have to practice the passing on of generational faith over and over and over. Like blue skies, blue skies, right? Over and over and over so they get it. It has to be this consistent thing. Now, singles, don't think that this isn't for you too, right? Because you got to pass on your faith to somebody else. And so we're given even more advice. And Claudette mentioned this in the scriptures of how to do this. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This passage offers, among other things, an urge to be consistent. To be consistent, but to also be careful in how we pass on generational faith. And when the handoff takes place, it's going to be as a result of hours and hours of practice, hours and hours of quiet times, hours and hours of family times with your family, years and years of of running together, years and years of practice. And then once that is done, guess what we get to do together? We get to chair together. After the, after the baton has been passed effectively, the race isn't over. There's still more race to be had. And so in the relay, the anchor was that last person. He gets the baton and his charge is to finish strong. He is the closer. He is the one that now everybody is relying on. All their hopes are on him. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12, it says, For you know 
that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so this is where we we keep up with the encouragement, the, the comforting, the urging until the day when the race ends for you. So once that anchor gets that baton and he is running and he's closing out the race, guess what the other three are doing? They're not taking their shoes off. They're not they're not sitting down drinking a Gatorade. They are cheering him on. They're like, finish strong. Let's go. And so as we do the same thing with our generations, we got to cheer them on. We can't just sit back and say, oh, well, I, I pass this on and all right, good luck for them. No, we got to cheer them on. And as a church, do you even know what is happening with the teen ministry? Do you even know what is happening in children's church? Do you even know what is happening in campus? And so as a family who passes on generational faith, I expect that we are going to ask those questions of each other. I expect that we're going to get involved so that the next generation can get the baton and run with you guys cheering them on and saying, come on, finish strong. And if they drop it, guess what we do? We cheer them on anyway. We help them grab it and finish the race. Because just because we dropped it doesn't mean that the race is over. And just because we got it doesn't mean that the race is over. And so I believe that's how a family works, right? And so even even in your families at home, you're passing on generational faith. In here, we're passing on generational faith. Kingdom kids is not for us just to have them babysit our kids. It's for them to learn faith. It's for them to understand faith. You know, I was at uh, Noel's graduation yesterday, and the speaker, one of the things he said was, why do we learn? We learn so we can teach. Why do we gain knowledge? We gain knowledge so we can pass it on. Knowledge and, and learning isn't just for us to just consume it and say, wow, I know a whole lot. It's for us to pass it on to that next generation. And so I ask you, what is your example like? What are you learning? And so what can you pass on to that next generation? In uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. So we're all expected to run. We're all expected to run the race. We're all expected to run it like we want to get the prize. And that like we want our kids to get the prize. We want the next generation to get the prize. The prize isn't just for us. The prize is for them too. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, 
since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. And let us run with what? Perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, run with perseverance. Run the race that is already marked out for you. You know what happens on an old track? Old tracks get worn out. They get worn out because of so many runners. Right? Are we wearing out the ground? Or are we walking a pace that's not disturbing the surface at all? Are we running the race, guys? Hebrews 12, 3 through 4, it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you know what loses races? Weariness and losing heart. If you lose heart, it can affect your speed. I've seen and watched races in the Olympics even, where you know this team can win. Okay? The U.S. team can win. But what happen is, happens a lot of times is that they lose heart. There's a stumble. The baton drops. Something, the race doesn't start off right. And they lose heart. It's not so much that some of these other teams are so much faster than them. It's that they lose heart. Many teams that lose, whether it be, no matter what the sport is, is that they lose because they lose heart. You watch basketball, you know this team is great. But once they got down 20 points, some of them, they will lose heart. And it's, the game is over. You know, I have many people in my life who have fallen away from God. And I pray for them all the time. And... I pray that I'll have another attempt to pass the baton. I pray that I do a good job. Or I pray that I do even as good a job as Claudette is doing to pass the baton to Charles. As her mother has done with her. And I pray that you feel the same about passing on the generational faith from one generation to the next. Thank you guys so much, JJ. Thank you, Christina, Claudette, and uh, and Brian for sharing your hearts with us this morning. I want to wish you guys a happy Mother's Day and please pass on their faith.
And so um, before I come down um, and before the singers come up, I'd like Noel to come up, please. No So Hey <laughs> So I didn't get to go to the party last night Because there's another party in Nashville With Lisa and um, PK and myself Which was awesome But I couldn't miss the opportunity To send you off in style uh, Noel, when we moved here, you were 13, and you just started studying the Bible with Barbara, I think, and a couple other. But, oh, my God, what a cutie pie, and what a, an amazing um, kid. And we've watched you mature and grow, and then you got a boyfriend who's a disciple. Yay! And um, you got amazing parents that invest a lot in you. And I, I, the church wanted to give you this Bible. I'm passing on the baton because you're leaving teens, but you're coming back to campus, so you're still going to be with me. But we wanted to give you this Bible, but there's something that was shared with me when I became a disciple. My very first one another partner shared this scripture with me, and I wanted to share it with you. And this scripture is in Philippians 1. And it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first woman's day, dancing, from singing, from playing the piano, from supporting me in this ministry anytime I need you. So I'm very grateful for your partnership in the gospel. And it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. I do. I have you in my heart. You're very special to me. I know the Garbita's kids are very special to me. I know Kai is going to lead the campus ministry, no pressure. But this is, this is the part. This is the part that I want you to hear me as you go out for the next couple of, mo- of our months. It says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You're going to be awesome. Looking forward to the campus ministry. I love you. Words from the church. And this from your aunties and uncles. <laughs> so, so, hence an example of passing on generational faith, right? The Garvitas have done a fantastic job with with uh, with their children and with Noel, and it was so encouraging to be at her graduation yesterday. Because I can remember just coming here and witnessing her baptism, and and uh, you know Travis goes to the the same um, uh, homeschool community as she does, and so it will be his turn next year uh, to to graduate, and so we are just so excited for Noel and what she's going to do um, in college, and so again, let's let's be passing on generational faith uh, to our children. <laughs> 
Let's uh, get one more round of applause. Thank you, JT. Encouraging. Um, and uh, let's yeah, let's all stand up for the final song uh, before Jamal comes and closes us out with a prayer. Uh, we're gonna sing in my father's house. <laughs>